0: If you will, open up in your copy of God's word to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two, we're going to focus our attention on verses four through seven, but I want to read verses one through ten so we see these verses in their context. So I'll read verses one through ten from Ephesians chapter two. You follow along in your copy of God's word. This is the word of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. I want us to go back to verse 4 and read once again verses 4 through 7 because those are the verses that we're going to focus on today. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for His church today. The title of our message today is "From Death to Life: Alive with Christ." Now, I don't know about you, but I have a fascination uh, with life and death situations where a rescue is involved. You can ask my wife. I like to watch this stuff on. TV or find videos online or read stories about it. Now, I don't like that people find themselves in life and death situations. So don't get me wrong. okay? I don't like that. They find themselves in life and death situations. But I do love it when there is a rescue that is involved, whether it's someone lost in the wilderness or a a capsized boat or a car wreck or a house fire or a hostage situation or a plane crash or a medical emergency. You can tell I've watched a lot of this stuff. It's fascinating to me when all of a sudden there is a rescue involved. I love stories of rescue. I have a deep respect for first responders and others like them who who have given their lives to, to go into these situations time and time again and provide rescue, often endangering themselves in the process. But I also love seeing footage and hearing stories where bystanders who really don't have any training, they see someone in danger and they jump into action to provide rescue. The other day I saw footage from a security camera in a in a cafeteria lunchroom in a school and in uh, this. Young man uh, in high school choked on a piece of chicken, and and his friend realized what was going on and jumped up and did the Heimlich maneuver on him, and he coughed up that piece of chicken and saved his life. And in the footage, nobody's doing anything. They're, they're, everyone's just sitting there, except for that one friend. He jumped into action, and really, that's the one thing that all stories of rescue have in common. I mean. The, 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 the stories of rescue out there are so different based on the, the people and the location and the, and, the, and the danger that was involved. There's so many differences in all these stories, but the one thing they all have in common is this. There's a rescuer. You don't have a story of rescue unless there is a rescuer, someone who decides to jump into action for the purpose of saving a life from death. Friends, the reason we celebrate Resurrection Sunday today and really every Sunday of the year is because someone jumped into action to save us from death. And that someone is the only one who can provide the kind of rescue that you and I need. That someone is God. A couple of weeks ago, we studied Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. And there we learned the bad news. We learned the truth about our lives apart from God's saving grace. We learn that apart from God's saving grace, we are hopelessly dead in sin. But there is good news. In church today we want to learn from Ephesians chapter two, verses four through seven, that through God's saving grace we are eternally alive with Christ. Through God's saving grace, church, we are eternally alive with Christ. Now, I want us to take a moment and consider the context of these verses four through seven to make sure we interpret them and apply them correctly. First, we need to remember the audience. We need to remember the audience. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to people who have believed in Jesus for salvation. You could go back to chapter one, verse 13. And there he says that these people he's writing to have heard the word of salvation, the gospel truth, and they have believed in Jesus. And so the things that he says are true of people in chapter two, verses four through seven are true of people who have believed in Jesus. Here's what that means for us. It means that if you have believed in Jesus then you can rejoice today in the good news of chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, because it is true of you today. And if you haven't believed in Jesus, but today you choose to believe in Jesus after hearing the gospel message, then you too can rejoice in the good news of chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. But it also means that if you haven't believed in Jesus and you remain in that state of unbelief, then you cannot rejoice in the good news of chapter two, verses four through seven, because you are still dead in your sin. What is true of all who have not believed in Jesus is described in chapter two, verses one through three. And I would encourage you to glance your eyes back at those three verses for just a moment, because we have to remember the bad news if we're going to understand how good the good news is. The second thing we... Look at as we consider the context or those first three verses of chapter two. And Paul now has just described our spiritual state apart from God's saving grace by saying that we were dead in sin in verse one. We weren't merely sick with sin. We weren't merely injured by sin. Paul says we were dead in sin. And our deadness in sin, if you'll recall, shows itself in sinful living. We follow the way of the sinful world. We follow sinful Satan and we follow the sinful flesh. That we are born with. To help us understand just how desperate our situation of being dead in sin is. You'll notice at the end of verse 3. Paul says that we were by nature dead in sin. We were by nature children of God's wrath. We were born into sin. Separated from God because of our sin. And deserving of punishment from God for our sin. And what could we do to change our condition of being dead in sin? we go back to that that picture of someone who's dead. The dead person can't do anything. And so there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to change our state of being dead in sin. Our only hope is that someone with the power to give us new life would care enough about us to jump into action and provide for us the rescue that we need. And that really leads to the third part of the context that I don't want us to forget. Even though we read, uh, started in chapter 2, verse 1, we really need to back up just a little bit. Remember, there weren't chapters and verses in Paul's original letter. It was just a letter. So you went from what we see as chapter 1 right into chapter 2. So if you'll back your eyes up just a little bit, in the end of chapter 1, we see that Paul has described for them the immeasurable power of God. Remember, we need someone powerful enough to give us the life that we need. Paul described with him the immeasurable power of God displayed in Christ Jesus, whom he raised from the dead, seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, whom he set all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. And so God has the power we need. He has the power to raise the dead to life. Look at the empty tomb. Paul has already drawn attention to that in his letter. He raised Jesus from the dead. God can do what we need. The question is, will he care enough? To jump into action for us. It's the cry of every person who is in need of rescue. Will someone jump into action to rescue me? Friends, the first two words of verse 4 are some of the greatest words of hope in the history of mankind. But God. But God. You are dead in sin, Paul said. But God. You are following the sinful world and sinful Satan and your sinful flesh. But God, you are by nature children of wrath. But God, I want to share with you four truths today regarding God's intervention of life giving rescue. And the first is this church. God's intervention of life giving rescue is our only hope. It is our only hope. We see this in these first two glorious words of verse four. But God, but God, if you, if you can only remember two words today, remember these words, but God. The word but is a conjunctive word signifying contrast when the words in front of the word but are bad news. It means what's coming after that word but is good news. The bad news is that we were dead in sin, but the good news is this God. God is the good news, but God, you see, there's nothing else you could put after that conjunctive word there, but There's nothing else you could put after that that would be good news for sinners who are dead in sin. And yet so often people try to put all sorts of things there in the place of God after that. But they say, I'm a sinner. Yes, but I've also done some good things. I'm a sinner. Yes, but I've done more good things than bad things for sure. I'm a sinner. Yes, but I've gone to church and I've read my Bible. I'm a sinner. Yes, but... I've tried to be a good husband or a good wife or a good mom or a good dad or, or a good child. I'm a sinner, yes, but I've helped people out. I've worked for the good of society. I've done things to promote human flourishing. I, I, I've done these things. I'm a sinner, yes, but I, I've helped people out and, and, and I, I've changed my ways and from what I used to be. And now look at, look at, look at who I am now. I'm, 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 I'm doesn't, I don't do all those bad things that I used to do. I've worked hard at this. I'm a sinner. Yes, but. We might admit that we are sinners and we might even follow that up with a but. But if what comes after the but is anything other than God, then friends, we are still dead in our sins. Why? Because only God can provide the contrast we need, which is the contrast between death and life. We were born dead in sin and being dead. We need to be made alive. We need to be born again. And that is not something that you and I can do for ourselves or anyone else. As Jesus told Nicodemus, only God can do that. Only God can make someone born again. Friend, if God doesn't jump into action, if God doesn't intervene in our hopeless situation of being dead in sin, we have no hope. But praise God, verse four starts this way. But God, praise God that God, church, has jumped into action. He has jumped into action to provide for us the rescue we need. He has intervened in the midst of our deadness in sin to give us new life. And you were dead, Paul says, but God. God's intervention of life giving rescue is our only hope. But why did he do it? Why did God intervene? Is it because he told us to do something and we were good and we did it? Or is it because maybe he saw us trying really hard to change our spiritual condition? And so he said, you know what? I'm going to offer him. I'm going to offer her a helping hand. No. Why did God intervene? It's because of who he is. It's because of the character of God. God in no way intervened because of who we are, because we are dead in sin apart from his intervention. All we have to offer God is our rebellion against him. But God intervened because of who he is. Truth number two, God's intervention of life giving rescue flows from his character. It flows from his character before Paul gets to the main action of this passage, which is. I'll go ahead and tell you, you already know, making us alive with Christ. We'll get there in a moment. Before he gets there, he describes God's character that led to his saving action in our lives. And we continue to see descriptions of his character throughout this passage. Notice verse four. He says, but God being. OK, so now he's going to talk about who God is. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then if you skip down to verse seven for a moment, we see that his grace flows from his kindness toward us. So we have these words describing the character of God, mercy, love, grace and kindness. The word mercy means to look with compassion on someone who is in a desperate situation and then to step in and offer them the assistance that they need. One writer said it this way. I think he summed it up perfectly. He said, mercy is love for the down and out. It's seeing something someone who really doesn't deserve for you to step in and help them, but you love them enough that you step in and help them. That is mercy. And praise God, he is, notice what the text says, rich in mercy for being dead in sin. we were most definitely, church, down and out. But God has stepped in. Out of his rich mercy. And then notice this phrase here, because of the great love with which he has loved us. Because of the great love with which he has loved us. Back in chapter 1, we saw that God was great in his power. Now in chapter 2, we see that God is great in his love. In verse 3, we learned also that God is a wrathful God. You know, it's interesting that just a few words earlier, we're we're by nature children of God's wrath. And then and then a few words later, God is a God of love. Well, how do we make sense of that? Well, he's both. He is a wrathful God. He's wrathful towards sin because he is just and righteous and holy. And his righteousness demands that sin be punished. If he didn't punish sin, he wouldn't be a good, right and just God. But he's also great in love. And it's a love which jumps, which jumps into action to rescue people who are under his wrath. It's a great love with which he has loved us. It's not just a love that he talks about, but it's a love that he shows. A love that with which he has loved us. Do you know how God has loved you? Maybe today you just feel the burden of being under the wrath of God. Maybe you today you just feel the burden of being under your sin. You just feel like God is angry towards you and towards your sin. Friend, God is angry towards sin. But God has also shown great love towards sinners. The same God who is wrathful towards sin has looked on us in mercy and loved us with a great love. And this love has led him to jump into action to rescue us. You want to see this love? The church, you look to the place where the righteousness of God that pours wrath out on sinners met the love of God that rescues sinners from their sin. You say, where do I see that? You see it at the cross. You see it at the cross, church. You see it as the son of God hung there in our place for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth on a rescue mission. The mission was to stand in the place of sinners and take the punishment that we deserve so that God's wrath would be satisfied. So that we would be forgiven and Jesus accomplished this mission on the cross He died to pay the price for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserve. And there on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? The payment for our sin was finished. He accomplished the rescue mission. And he did this not because we loved him, but because he loved us. Notice in verse five, Paul says that God loved us with a love that raised us to life, even when we were dead and sinners. It's not because God looked at us and said, man, they're trying really hard. Oh man, look at that. Look at how they're trying to love me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them out. No, 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 no. It's while we were dead in our trespasses that God loved us with that great love. And God didn't wait on us to show Him love before He came to our rescue for we would never have done that. On our own, God came to our rescue while we were dead in our trespasses. I mean, think about it. While we're following the sinful world, while we're following sinful Satan, while we are following the sinful flesh that is in us, while we are rebelling against him, he sacrifices his son. For us on our behalf so that we can be rescued. Divine rescue is not something that we deserve through our works because it came while we were dead in our sin, which means we've done nothing to earn it, which is why he also says that it is by grace. We see this phrase here for by grace you have been saved. And Paul is going uh, going to come back to this truth that salvation is by God's grace and his grace alone in verses eight and nine. But he can't help but just go ahead and, and, and interject it here. It's so important. He can't wait till verses eight and nine. He goes ahead and says, for by grace, you have been saved. Grace means getting something good you don't deserve. Friends, the rescue God has provided us through the sacrifice of his son is a rescue none. Of us deserve, and it's good for us to be reminded of that today so that we will be humbled before the cross of Christ. We deserve death, but in Christ, God has mercifully, lovingly, and graciously made a way of rescue so that we can go from death to life. So, God's intervention of life giving rescue flows not from anything in us, but it flows from who He is, it flows from His character. So, church, we've seen that God himself has intervened in our hopeless situation of being dead in sin. He did so not because we deserve it, but because he is kind and gracious and loving and merciful towards sinners. And so we've seen his character. And now we are ready to see the action, the action of this passage. We see the action, the heart of this passage in three action words. If you're in English class, I would say verbs. But we're not in English class, so We'll just say action words. okay? spring break for the kids. Right. We don't want to go to English class this week. Uh, Action words. okay? three action words found in verses five and six. And these three action words all have one thing in common. They are life giving actions that come from union with Christ. And so third truth today is this. God's intervention of life giving rescue is centered upon uniting us to Christ. God's. Interventions of life-giving rescue is centered upon uniting us to Jesus. It's taken Paul until the middle of this passage. Remember, it said that chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is really one long sentence in the Greek. And it's taken him to the middle of this passage, of this sentence, halfway through the sentence, before he ever gets to these action words. First, he told us the bad news about our sin. Then he told us the good news that God has intervened in the midst of our sin. But God, then he told us who God is, that he has the character that would that would lead him to step into the midst of our sin. But now he tells us the good news of God's saving action. The three action words are this made us alive, raised us up and seated us. If you underline things in your Bible, underline those circle, those raised us up. Excuse me, made us alive, raised us up, seated us. Verse five and six, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are the three action words that this entire passage and and friends, uh, our, our hope of everlasting life hang upon. Remember that phrase, but God. It means that God has acted to bring a contrast, a change. And so whatever was true of us before God intervened, now the opposite is true. We were dead, but God has made us alive. We were under the control of sin, but God has freed us from the coffin of sin by raising us to new life. We were deserving of God's wrath, but God has given us an eternal inheritance in the heavenly places. But how? How could God turn our lives around? By what means could God so radically transform us from death to life? I mean, something's got to happen. Like the rescuer doesn't just stand there and and say, man, I I I have the ability to save that person. I have the love in me, the mercy in me to save that person. But then the rescuer just stands there. It has no interaction with the one who needs rescue. No, there has to be some kind of interaction between the the rescuer and the one who needs rescue, rescuing, if that person is going to be rescued. So how is it? What is the interaction that takes place? What has to happen in us? How could God transform us from death to life? The answer is by uniting us to his son. It is in Christ that God can move us from death to life. The, The rescue action, as it as it kind of applies to us is god connecting us to jesus i said that there were there were three action words made us alive raised us up and seated us that's not completely true i'm not trying to trick you i'm just trying to draw attention to the importance of these three words i didn't give you the whole picture those are the three action words but i didn't give you the whole word only gave you part of those three words and i'm saying word even though you're seeing phrases phrases like made us alive Or 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 seated us or raised us up. It's one word in the Greek. Paul's writing one action word. So there's three action words. But there's something that each of these three words has in common with one another. Paul puts a under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a prefix on the beginning of each of these verbs, these action words. He puts a prefix there. And that that prefix makes all the difference. I'm not trying to be technical for the sake of being technical. It makes all the difference. If we want to know how then can I be made alive? How can I be raised to new life? How can I be seated in the heavenly places? It's the prefix that he sticks on the beginning of each of these action words. And it's a prefix that prefix that means this together with together with together with. In other words, God doesn't merely make us alive and raise us up and seat us in the heavenly places. There's got to be some kind of interaction between the rescuer and the rescued He together with makes us alive. He together with raises us up and he together with seats us in the heavenly places together with what together with who together with the rescuer sent from heaven on a rescue mission to save sinners from their sin together with the man who is the son of God made flesh together with the crucified and risen savior together with Jesus Christ, the king. It is the together with that makes all the difference in our lives. Yes, Jesus has died on the cross. Yes, he has risen from the dead. But if you are not together with Christ, it makes no difference in your life. The way that God can take a person who is dead in sin and under his wrath and make him or her alive and raised up and seated in the heavenly places by joining that sinner to his son. But why his son? Well, it's because his son, though he was without sin, church, took our sin upon himself and he experienced the death that sin deserves. Don't forget verses one through three. We are dead in sin. And in one sense, Jesus became dead in sin in our place. God crushed the son under the weight of our sin, under the weight of his wrath. As Paul said in first Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty one, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Church, God raised him from the dead. And so Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter six, verse four, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk. In newness of life. And this is why I spent some time at the beginning reminding you of the context of this passage. Hopefully, as you heard these words in verses 4 through 7, raised up and seated in the heavenly places, you thought, wait a second, I've heard those words before. In fact, I've, I've already heard those words in Paul's letter. Look back for a moment to chapter one, verse 19, where Paul prayed that the believers would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated, us, seated him in the heavenly places at his right hand. You see, we've already seen these words. Raised up and seated in the heavenly places. The first time it had to do with Jesus, what God did in his power to his son. He raised him up and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so now what is Paul saying? He's saying that when we are together with, remember that prefix in the beginning of each of those action words, when we are together with Christ, when God joins us to Jesus, what is true of Christ, church, is true of us. Is Jesus raised from the dead? And those who are in Christ are raised from death as well. Is Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places? Then those who are in Christ are seated in the heavenly places as well. Does sin hold Jesus in the grave? Then neither does sin hold in the grave those who have been joined to Jesus. Church, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places is the same power that can take a sinner dead in sin and give him or her new life. But God has made us alive together with Christ. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is central to Christianity. This is why Paul said to the the Christians in Corinth. He said that if Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Our salvation from sin, our eternal security is found in union with Christ. He is the rescuer. And if he stayed dead, then we have no hope. Imagine you're lying lifeless on the floor of a house that's engulfed in flames. Smoke has already filled your lungs. You're unconscious laying there. You can do nothing. There's a fireman outside and he knows there's someone in that In that home, He rushes in to save you. He finds you in the midst of the flames and the smoke. He scoops you up in His arms. And at this point, you're joined to Him. Where He goes, you're going. If He makes it out alive, you make it out alive. If He doesn't make it out alive, you don't make it out alive. Church, Jesus made it out alive. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. He made it out alive. And so since Jesus rose from death to life, those who are in Christ are resurrected to new life as well. When we're connected to Jesus, we make it out alive too. Because Christ, our rescuer, whom we have been joined to by the grace of God, has made it out alive. He has Paid the price for our sin in his death and then he conquered the grave. What is true of Christ is true of us if we are in Christ. Remember the power of God in Christ back in chapter 1 verse 19 is toward us who believe. And so is the power of God that raised Christ and that raises all who are in Christ. Is it toward you today? Have you believed in Jesus Christ for salvation? Have you given up on all your man-made forms of intervention? All those, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I've done this and this and this. And have you relied upon the supernatural intervention of God Almighty? Have you stood broken before God with a God-given awareness of your deadness and sin? And then with a heart of humility before the God against whom you have sinned, have you cast yourself in faith? Upon the spotless Lamb of God who was slain for your sin and who was raised to everlasting life. Friends, you must be together with Christ that these action words of salvation are going to be true of you. You must repent of your sin and believe in Jesus if you are going to be together with Christ. There's no other way of rescue. There's no other way to escape God's wrath. There's no other way to go from death to life. Listen, you are either alive with Christ or you are dead in sin. There's no I'm alive apart from Jesus. I'm alive some other way. You're either alive with Christ or you're dead in sin. There's no middle ground. So God's intervention of life giving rescue is centered upon uniting us to Christ. There's one final truth that I want to share with you before we close. And it comes from verse 7. And it's simply this, church, that God's intervention of life-giving rescue displays His saving grace in us forever. God's intervention of life-giving rescue displays, shows, displays His saving grace in us forever. What was God's purpose in intervening with life-giving rescue but Lord willing, we're going to answer this question in more detail next week as we study verses 8, 9 and 10. And there we'll examine more closely the nuts and bolts of how salvation is not a result of our works and yet radically transforms our works. God intervening with life giving rescue. We'll see when we get to verses 8 through 9 to change our lives right now. But while salvation transforms our lives in the here and now, it also transforms our lives, praise the Lord, in the ever after. And that's what verse seven is about. Verse seven gives us a purpose statement for God's life giving intervention. Why would God rescue us from death through the death and resurrection of his son? It is this church to be glorified forever as he forever displays his mighty and gracious act of salvation toward us. That's why he has saved us. Verse seven. So that here's the purpose statement in the coming ages. That's everlasting life. He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We forever, if we are together with Christ, get to be the display of the riches of God's grace and kindness. We get to be the display of his saving grace. Do you know the joy of having your sins forgiven? Do you know the wonder of being raised to new life? Then imagine what it will be like for all of eternity to have the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness being shown to us over and over and over again. so the glory of the God who loves us enough and is powerful enough to save us is put on display forever and ever because Jesus died and was raised from the dead, because God has raised us to new life, we get the blessing and God gets the glory of Him showing for all of eternity the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Imagine what it will be like how good it is now to know that your sins are forgiven and to know that you have everlasting life. Just imagine how good and awesome it's going to be then when forever and ever God displays His grace to us in a place that is completely free from sin in bodies that are completely free from sin and face to face with Jesus, our Savior, who has saved us from sin. If we're in Christ, then we get the high privilege of being the eternal display. Of God's saving grace. But God made us alive together with Christ. In order that in the coming ages. He might show the immeasurable riches. Of His grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. Can we meditate on that for just a moment church? Oh what a glorious contrast takes place. What a glorious rescue takes place when God, who is rich in mercy and great in love, steps in to act on our behalf. We go from death to life. We go from following the prince of the power of the air to sitting in the throne room of the king of kings. We go from the eternal wrath of God to the eternal riches of his grace. And it's all because God stepped in to rescue us. It's all because God sent his son on a rescue mission from heaven to earth. It's all because Jesus took our place in his death so that we can enjoy eternity with him in life. And so we'll simply say this. Praise God the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God for His divine intervention. Praise God for His loving character. Praise God for His uniting us to Christ. And praise God for His pleasure and allowing us to be the eternal display of His riches of grace and kindness toward us. Praise God, church, for the greatest rescue story of all time. Praise God For His saving grace. Through God's saving grace. We are eternally alive with Christ. And so I'll ask you once more. Are you together with Christ? Are you in Christ today? If you're not. Will you believe in Jesus for salvation? And if you are in Christ. Will you live to declare the praises of Of the Savior who came and rescued you from your sin. Let us pray. Father, thank You for the cross. And thank You for the empty tomb. Thank You for the death of Jesus in our place. Thank You for the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And thank You, God, that You give us the gift of Your grace. And that all who believe in Jesus are together with Christ. Which means we have died to our sin and we are alive forever. God, You get all the glory. Father, if there's someone right now who's not trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would believe in Jesus. Well, that right now they would call out in faith and ask You to save them, not because they deserve it, but because You have loved them enough to rescue them from their sin. Father, then help us to worship You. Lord, the greatest rescue story in all of the world. The greatest news in all the world. Father, we are alive in Christ. And may it show as we lift our voices And praise to King Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.